Sponsored by Expressway. With My Expressway, free travel pass holders can reserve their seats online at expressway.ie or at our ticket machines in stations. this final podcast of the Rewire Don't Retire series with me, <clears throat> Jill Kirby, and my great friend, fellow journalist and retirement coach, Marianne Heron. We've been casting a critical eye on conventional retirement. Marianne has been rewired for some time now, and I'll be collecting my state pension in a couple of months. What we've tried to do is to replace the retirement misconceptions and stereotypes out there with what we think is the idea of a more fulfilling, productive rewired, not retired life. Marianne, this time we're looking at something quite intriguing, something called the happiness curve, which I hadn't heard about, and how high up on it older people all over the world find themselves. Yes, that's right. And it's something that was recognized only relatively recently. Um, The happiness curve was discovered by chance by the academic statisticians, try saying that word, <laughs> Andrew Hussard and another Andrew, Andrew Clark, as they were looking at the relationship between wages and employment and happiness. And what they found was this statistical pattern, which is shaped like a smile. It goes up in the teens, moves downwards in your early middle years, and then goes up again as you head for 60 and beyond those being the happiest times in people's lives, with the upswing due to a cognitive shift away from competitiveness and towards wisdom, gratitude and compassion. Hmm. Tilda, that's the Irish longitudinal study on ageing, found that happiness here in Ireland peaks at age 68. Meanwhile, on the World Happiness Report, Ireland ranks quite high too. That's 13th in the top 30 companies where Finland is at the top and where we were only a few decimal points behind. And this is a rating relative to general satisfaction with life. Hmm. Do you know, I I really have to pass this news on to quite a few friends of mine um, who've always, a, a few of them seem to have this fixation with landmark decade anniversaries, but especially in hitting their 60s. Um, What seems to concern them, me too sometimes, is that time seems to speed up with every passing year and decade. But then I suppose we've also been influenced all our lives, haven't we, on how ageing is depicted in society with all that emphasis on youth culture. Yeah, Um, we can be quite irrational about retirement and pension age. And there are some pervasive myths about ageing too out there. One is that age is a reverse process of growing up, but we aren't programmed to age in the same way. And the other myth which we plague ourselves with is that ill health is a necessary part of the ageing package. But we now know that ageing is malleable. You can influence how well you age far more than you think. Um, Over 30% of the main causes of death, that's heart disease, diabetes, type type 2 diabetes, that is, and cancer, are preventable through lifestyle change. And biological age, 
That's how well you're aging. It's a more mm. accurate measure than chronological age. That's the number of candles on your birthday cake of how you're going to age and how you can improve your score with ac- exercise, diet, and attitude. But the thing that is, I, you know, I think we're so influenced by this is that aging gets a bad press. <laughs> you know, everybody remembers what the actress, the film star, Bette Davis, once said. She said, age ain't no place for sissies. <laughs> but I much prefer the other thing that she said. She said, I'll never retire so long as I've got my legs and my makeup. <laughs> Nor did she. No, she didn't. And in actual fact, they found that statistically, you tend to live longer if you keep on working, at mm-hmm. least doing some work mm-hmm. anyway. And we're also influenced by things like Shakespeare on old age, you know, that goes sans eyes, sans teeth, sans <laughs> everything. And it's written in about 1604, if I recall, when you, 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 you probably didn't even make it to 40, given mm. what the average life expectancy was then. And it's mm. not good for you to think like this. No. Uh, Tilda noted in one of those surveys and reports, it said people who take on negative attitudes about aging have slower walking speeds and less cognitive ability. In other words, if you think old, you get old. Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? I've, I'm always uh, astounded to hear somebody say how old someone was who perhaps passed away, not, not somebody I knew. And I, I can remember thinking, my goodness, I had no idea they were that young. They had such an old attitude, and mm. you know they might have only been in their seventies. But it always struck me that that person, who I didn't know personally but would have observed, uh, behaved so much older than that. Yeah, well, I do think that um, you know the way society views age has something to do with this, and mm. also the way that we're treated in the, the headlines mm. and current narratives. And you know, if we were told that this is the best chapter of life. But it's one of the happiest times of your life. Then you're going to feel a lot better than you do when you're constantly referred to as a pensioner's time bomb <laughs> or uh, as if you were to blame, you know, and you should apologise for yourself. Mm. Or as elderly and vulnerable. Uh, you, you know, better to look at it that way. Well, what really disturbs me is when it's usually much younger people, talk about the elderly as people over 55. I mean, how <laughs> crazy is that? That's 10 years ago. Jeez, hello. <laughs> yeah, and other cultures have much more positive mm. visions, especially in Eastern cultures, you know, where age is venerated and yes. it doesn't, doesn't happen. But, uh, and, and how you're going to actually uh, fare, and whether you're going to uh, thrive or dive into possible boredom or depression, depends a lot on your attitude to mm. aid towards aging and also on how you make this transition, not to retirement so much as rewirement, where you're regarding this as a whole exciting new chapter of life, which it is. Mm. And if you want to succeed with that, I always <coughs> think of it, well, if you want to boil it down to three simple things to remember the important things, three key elements, they're the three Ps. Positivity, purpose, and people. Positivity is actually something we've found that protects health, as well as keeping you living longer. There was a famous study of nuns, the Sisters of Notre Dame in Milwaukee, which found that 90% of those who wrote positive letters way back at the time of taking their vows 
were still alive at the age of 85, versus 34% only of those who were more negative. Really it makes life a hell of a lot easier, and um, the more you worry and stress, the more you're likely to have um, uh, brain chemicals, which actually can uh, increase inflammation, which causes mm -hmm. aging. So it's a well. I, I've known you what, forty years, and from the day I met you, you have always been a glass half full person. I can't think of anybody more positive than you are. Uh, me, not so much. I mean, I, I like to think of myself, and, and this I think is a positive thing. I, I describe myself as an optimistic pessimist, <laughs> but I do appreciate though that uh, ageism can be very patronizing. I mentioned the, those advertisements, you know, the advertisements for older people over 55 or 60. It can also be very discouraging, though, can't it, if you don't see yourself as much different than you were in your 30s and 40s. And I had a very dear old friend. She died at 96, a single woman. She was professional, a great friend of my sister's as well. And she actually turned to me one day. Um, I was visiting her in Montreal, and she was 92, and she turned to me and said, Jill, I have no idea how this happened, she said, 92? And she had gotten into the habit, she said, of not looking in the bathroom mirror in the morning when she, when she brushed her teeth because she said, I don't recognize that person. How did that happen? But she was so active and she was so involved. And, um, you know, I think she and loads of older people um, get probably, I suppose, discouraged when they get overlooked for work at much younger than 92. And I've, I've heard also of public service activities that look for people of experience or whatever to come on board, perhaps a board or an agency. But if you're in your 70s or 80s, they do not consider you very seriously. Maybe in your 60s because you've just come out of work, but once you hit, you know, that next plateau, if you wish, um, you're not considered for that. And I think that's most unfair. I do think we need to really reconsider our attitudes about age. And also, we're terribly inconsistent about the whole thing. Mm. I mean, look, at there's US President Joe Biden and heading the most powerful <laughs> nation in the world at 78. 78. Yeah. And that's 12 years older than our current pensionable age. And Reagan before him, even yeah. older. Yeah. yeah, so the Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi, is now in her 80s. And if you consider um, that Hollywood actor Kirk Douglas, he died recently aged 103. And let's not forget that half the people born today are likely to make it to 100. Yeah, that's right. He had would have had 36 years in retirement. That's almost half a current lifetime. And at least he could afford his retirement. <laughs> But how, how do the rest of us fund that length of retirement in an average situation? We're going to have to consider working longer, and uh, people want to. Um, yes, and so many you know, contracts, people are still tied into contracts which set retirement age at 65. Yeah. Although our retirement age is now 66. I know, it's it's a ridiculously arbitrary age, isn't it? And it was connected with those those early pension, uh, state pension uh, payouts. Uh, fortunately, the one bit of good news this year is that there's now a commitment by the government uh, to get those uh, private 
pension ages in line with the state retirement age of 66. I think they're doing that mostly because they had to they had to have a transition payment for people who are 65. And this was a recommendation of the recent Commission on Pensions report. So I guess there's been some progress. But how to fund a long retirement, 20 or 30 years, it really is a great challenge. And just about every government with an uh, you know, is going to have to really, oh, I keep saying this every year, they have to, to bite the bullet on this problem because we are an aging and a healthier population. Mm. Unfortunately, we've also fudged it again because the commission, some, I don't understand their logic, but they did recommend that we not advance the retirement age to 68 for at least another decade, and that's going to be only gradually, gradually moving it forward um, mm you know, over a period of time. I think that's absolutely crazy. And I yeah, I think one um, of the other things, too, we have to have a look at is that we still have very much this one-size-fits-all approach to retirement and pension age. But the thing of it is that people age very differently mm. and jobs differ radically. I mean, I fully understand that there are people out there who've had very hard jobs, jobs that they maybe didn't like mm. terribly much, weren't very rewarding, uh, psychologically, and where they're well and truly ready to go after 40 years, if not before. Uh, but then there are other people who may be younger for their age, or they have a really um, absorbing job. And we've, uh, you know, that survey that we quoted earlier tells us that many people would like to continue working. Um, mm. Over half the respondents in one Irish survey said they wanted to do so, and it was mainly for reasons of stimulation and involvement. And how many others uh, would like to continue in an active role rather than be lumped together, as they often are these days, as one amorphous bunch of vulnerable old folk, as they were during the pandemic? I don't think really, um, and we're a significant group of people these days, you know, it's going to be by... One in one in four by uh, twenty forty, mm. but they're not listening. <laughs> no, and I we we were talking about this and how this is a worldwide issue, or at least in the Western world, isn't it? And and there are similar figures and and being statistics being reported in the United States, where I have to say statistics are a lot better and they're gathered much more frequently than they are here. Um, and one of the things though that comes out is that. Work expectations don't always meet reality. Quite a few, I think six out of ten surveyed, said that they, they wanted to keep working past retirement age, and a very small minority of them, about 15%, reported that they were going to need to keep working for financial reasons. Um, but only about the same percentage actually found paid employment. Somewhere in between, though, and I think this is maybe a more positive thing, um, four out of ten respondents in the States in this big survey said they would prefer a phased retirement rather than that cliff edge end of their working life. And that strikes me as being more plausible. Because one of the things that I do think is a bit of an issue here and in other places is that while you might still be healthy and willing to work past age 65 or 70, there are a lot of people who are going to be delayed in their own promotion, younger people delayed in their promotion, if we keep 
the entire older workforce in place until they're 70 or 75 or until they want to keep working, uh, sorry, until they want to finally retire. I'm not so sure that's fair on the younger generation. Far better is to say this company encourages people from the age of, say, 60 onwards to start winding down. They'll have to work out the, the finances of that. But I'd say a lot of people would say, gee, if I could maybe for the next four or five years only work four days a week and then when I hit 65 I'll work three days a week and then and, and work it that way to age 70 that means that younger people are going to be pushed forward a little bit faster yes. than then, they would be if there wasn't any movement yes. of older and your people. wage packet is less and also that's just a stage where your your financial requirements are less and in fact my, yeah, right. my late husband did that uh, he worked out a deal with his partner and he worked uh, a four or three day week and, and took less out of the partnership. It's a good way to go. There's no talk about it though, unfortunately. Yeah. But <laughs> anyway, anyway, this is the this is the, the happiness. Curve. Happiness. <laughs> <laughs> Travelling with Expressway and your free travel pass is made easier with a reserved seat. When booking journeys at expressway.ie, make sure to select seat only reservation free travel scheme and pay just two euro per trip to guarantee your seat. Bookings can also be made from ticket machines in stations and priority boarding will be given to those who book in advance. Travel without a booking is still more than welcome, if you prefer, provided we have space on board. Take it easy with your free travel pass and expressway.ie. Think you're not smart enough to own a smartphone? Well, think again and think Doro. Doro phones are designed specially with the older person in mind. They're easy to use with louder sound and larger text. Plus numerous state-of-the-art features that don't compromise on performance or quality. To learn more about the full range of high-tech Doro phones, visit doro.ie. Doro phones. Make friends with innovation. If you're enjoying this podcast, why not subscribe to Senior Times, the magazine and website for people who don't act their age. Or maybe you have a loved one or a friend who you know would love to read more. You can buy a subscription and have the magazine delivered direct to their door. To subscribe to Senior Times, visit the website at seniortimes.ie and like us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash senior times. Loneliness, as opposed to being alone and happy with your own company, is one of the things that older people complain about in Ireland. One third of people over 60 live on their own, whether because they're single, widowed, or by choice, or due to other circumstances. And one of the things about getting on in years is that it's much easier to make friends when you're younger. You've got those contacts at the school gates or co-workers. I always used to think that was co-workers, but co-workers. <laughs> <laughs> Give them more time, though. There are loads of things to try. Uh, you know, when you've when you've got you you've started your retirement, mm-hmm. or even before, to expand your network and to include younger friends as well. Things like volunteering, walking groups, book or cinema clubs, or start one. Mm. Um, having a shared interest is a great way of getting to know people. Um, and also, you know, to increase, you, if you want to find your purposeful thing to do, um, doing some upskilling, adding, adding a new skill. 
Uh, computer skills in particular, yes. which are available, aren't they, from a lot of the retirement groups, Age Action. Well, Age Action do yeah. have this excellent free thing where you can uh, work with a, uh, a tutor and uh, in five sessions and uh, get to, to grips with uh, things like emailing uh, and so on if you haven't already mm. done so. And, uh, you know, skills further on down the line. Um, oh, learning a language, very good for your brain. Mm. Um, painting, creative writing, or doing something creative. Uh, creativity is something which is really keeps you going. We're, um, pretty, good, we're pretty good at sort of joining clubs, though, aren't we? Mm. Or some people are. Yeah. Uh, Tilda, that's the Irish Longitudinal Study on Aging, found 52% of um, elders take part in group activities. Um, but women are rather better at making social contacts and friendships than men are, twice as good, <laughs> in fact. And the social contact aspect of things is, is much better in rural areas. Um, mm. 55% um, people have those kind of contacts, as opposed to 19% in urban areas. But belonging to a community, being part of a community and social participation is really an essential component. Um, it's one of the most important aspects. But, and, and so is good health though, isn't it? Um, I have to say, I mean, I, I'm knock on wood, I'm very lucky, but I am usually pretty miserable if I am unwell, uh, if, I'm, if I'm sick. And I've seen also firsthand how poor health can turn previously you know, active and, and pretty happy people up to that point, they they can become miserable. And certainly it can also cause bouts of depression when you suddenly find that your health has changed and sometimes you don't see an end to it either because you have this idea too, I'm getting older and I guess this is what happens when you get older. Mm. So that means also that it's a very, when you're going, when you're retired and starting your rewirement, it's a very good time to invest in your own well-being plan as well as having that health insurance. And following what people do in the blue zones, um, that term, the origin of that term, comes from actually a blue pen used by National Geographic explorer Dan Butner. And he used it to mark maps as he researched the lessons in longevity before oh, really? writing a series of best-selling books on the subject. Hmm. And he found that the social factors that can contribute to blue zoners living 10 years longer than average are having a purpose in life, putting family first, staying lifelong with a partner, absence of stress, exercise and belonging to a faith. Hmm. And the other thing that inhabitants do is eat very little meat, which is something we're being uh, encouraged, encouraged to, to eat. do. Yes, <laughs> don't overeat and have a mainly plant-based diet, which is rich in pulses like beans and lentils. And mm. This happens in places like Ikaria, the Greek island, Okinawa, Japan, and several other centres, where a high percentage of super-agers living to be centenarians. Mm. The other aspect to it is that we tend to think more in terms of physical fitness, but mental fitness is equally important. Thanks to the advancements in neuroscience, we know that our brains remain plastic and capable of improving. Um, you know, 
fluid intelligence, such as the ability to um, think on your feet, may slow up. But your ability, your crystalline intelligence, that's your knowledge base, is robust. There have been some. There have been some very interesting, quite recent genetic engineering breakthroughs, haven't there, about how Alzheimer's can perhaps be slowed down or or tackled anyway. Uh, well, it's just in relation. So far, it's been in animal research, and the, the researchers have actually found a gene with a mutation which can be used to replace the, this is getting a bit technical here, the APOE4 gene in animals, um, which is a major risk factor in mm. developing Alzheimer's. Oh. Animals must get Alzheimer's too. <laughs> <laughs> well, I certainly, I certainly think the big apes do. I remember reading that, and that's hardly a surprise. But, I mean, health obviously is, is a really important issue, but... Um, you know, there are other things that can put us up higher on that happiness curve, isn't there? Like a family, happy family life. I know that uh, a lot of retired people I know really are looking forward to the idea of having more time, real quality time this time, with their grandchildren. And they do get a huge amount of pleasure from visiting them and even helping with their childcare. But I came across a figure from 2018 that said that from the CSO, and it estimated that about a half a million young adults, and that's people to age 30, and about three out of five of them were male, were still living at home with their parents. Um, that figure is probably higher now due to COVID, housing shortage, and lack of immigration opportunities these last couple of years. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm kind of wondering how, how much real happiness is going to be generated if you are stuck with your adult children, and more to the point, maybe if you're stuck taking care of your grandkids a lot. Uh, you know, they call those, the kids, the grown-up kids staying at home, it may not just be, they may have left home and they may boomerang back again. Mm. And I think one of the things to, uh, the key to making that work is that, uh, you know, it's your home, uh, you call the shots, it's not a hotel. Uh, and um, you know we need to work really work out details and expectations that do they contribute uh, what do they do in relation to taking share of the cooking and the tasks and that kind of thing mm. yeah. didn't you find though just getting back to grandkids something like a quarter of over 65s in this country care for their grandchildren up to 39 hours a week yeah, so it's an equivalent of a full-time job yeah, isn't it though? <laughs> <laughs> no thank you uh, so what I'm really asking is between the grandparent routine and perhaps having the boomerangs back in the house, um, do you think part of a rewiring plan should include family members and their expectations about what you, mum and dad, should do now that you've got all this extra time on their hands? Yeah, on your hands? I think that's the thing. It's definitely a good idea to get clarity on that, so you know, to talk it through with both parties, mm. both sides, and to avoid being taken for granted and taking on too much. Mm. I mean, that said, grandparents may absolutely be delighted, you yeah. know, given how much pressure um, families are under these days, and with both of them working, and with the high, ridiculously high cost of um, mm. childcare here. Yes. You know, it doesn't happen in other countries. It can be as free as it is in France. Um, but uh, I think that, that handling those expectations and talking them through, 
Uh, probably it doesn't happen to the same extent here, but one of the things I did find in the Cape, for instance, was that very often the parents felt, you know, people move, they go away, they emigrate, and mm. they felt that they should emigrate to follow their kids. Hmm. Not a great idea, because those kids are very mobile these days. Yeah, and they could move off again. Yeah. There's also, actually, there are. I, I did come across a woman who had been widowed. Um, her only son and her grandchildren were actually living in Australia. And she looked into doing exactly that. And it seems that not every country is necessarily going to welcome somebody in their 70s. You have to have a certain amount of money and you've got, you know, because they're concerned about the impact that a lot of older people, <clears throat> not perhaps in the best of health, will have on on, uh, on their health services too. So, uh, I mean, it's a difficult one, isn't it? Because our children tend to emigrate very far away to South Africa and to Australia and New Zealand and places. Not that easy to get to. But listen, since we're talking about <clears throat> intimate relationships, uh, close family members, and how this can sometimes make you teeter a little bit on that happiness curve. Um, we probably should mention, too, that divorce rates rise for people in their 50s and 60s and are more often instigated by the female partner. Um, uh, figures from just last year showed that there were three of the 5,200 applications at the circuit court in 2020 for divorce, 3,000 of them were instigated by women. Yes, bit of a warning signal here. Yeah. Um, Grey divorce, as it's known, has increased by about 50% in the UK and the US over the two decades since the start of the noughties. Um, all sorts of factors that are cited, um, lack of commitment, bad communication, financial inequality, the emptiness syndrome, you know, this is where people have waited until the children are, are, are raised mm -hmm. and have left in order to separate. Well, it's a shame. Maybe it can be mended. Well, the other thing, too, is that, um, you know, people who've been married for a long time can get into a rut, one that they might not be too unhappy with, but retirement of a partner can certainly be disconcerting. Suddenly you've got this person who you only saw for, you know, a certain number of hours of the day. They're now hanging around the house all day without enough to do, perhaps, <clears throat> and they start impinging on the other partner's routine and life. The, sto the other thing, too, of course, for Ireland is that the social and religious stigma of divorce that once existed for older married couples is also pretty much gone. So I always figure that if a couple hasn't also had a particularly good financial partnership over their, over their married, long married life, it could be asking for trouble in retirement to, um, you know, go from a higher regular income to a lower fixed one's if both of you don't accept that and haven't spoken about that and haven't worked out that that rewiring deal that we talked about earlier, I mean, I should think financial problems do play a big part in people finally saying, listen, this isn't going to work out for the next 20 or 30 years for us. Uh, I don't know, does that make you happier or does it make you less happy? It's, it's hard to know how that... How it's interpreted, isn't it? Divorce. Um, it's certainly a very expensive option. I, I just want to say that uh, yesterday I came across, or, or it landed in my inbox, a press release from a UK wealth management company that said that married couples are about um, £150,000 better off than divorced couples. I doubt if it's very different here. And it really comes down to something that 
maybe they, I hope they've considered when, and certainly women have considered it when they're talking about leaving their husbands, it's because the cost of funding two homes is now going to have a huge impact on both your income and your asset wealth. And splitting pensions can be very problematic uh, and will certainly have, especially if there's only one of them. Uh, a financial advisor I, I spoke to years ago about this too said, investing early in some good marriage counseling is always going to be cheaper than having to pay a good divorce lawyer. <laughs> yes, and despite these warning signals, I mean, yeah. it's good to say that our divorce rate is still very low. Yes, it is. 0.6% of marriages compared to 32 in the UK, uh, although there was a 9% increase in divorces here, but that's catch up to some extent. Sure. Between 2011 and 2016, the last national consensus. Um, but that said, according to studies elsewhere, and no reason to suppose they're no different here, the good news is that many retirees report an improvement in their sex lives and intimacy. Again, they don't have the work pressure and they have more time to devote to each other. Mm. So don't believe Oscar Wilde's <laughs> quote on marriage, which is the maximum opportunity with the minimum of temptation. <laughs> <laughs> and there's been a 17% uh, increase in remarriages in the 2016 census. Um, and also and there's an increase in people cohabiting rather than... Uh, uh, tying the marriage knot. Um, uh, but you don't... <laughs> yeah. Well, that leads me to... I mean, I think what's also kind of interesting is that, you know, you meet somebody, either you're a widow or you're, you're divorced or whatever, and you're out there looking for somebody again. But I have to say, the thought of dating again just does not thrill me. I mean, I'm thank God I'm over those years, twenties mm, and well, not so for for, for everyone. Um, attitudes to dating later in life here have changed. There are plenty of online dating sites for older people, and it used to be that you know you say older men only want younger women. It's not the case anymore. Thank no. goodness. And the Senior Times, who's involved in this podcast, had its own meeting place page. Actually, three times more women posting than men. But men. Why, why do you think that? Because they're more widows? or No, I think it's men are more likely to be out there doing the asking. You know, women uh, are still a bit more constrained mm -hmm. about that. Um, and um, Easier to do in a, in yeah, a newspaper column. <laughs> yes, I mean, I, I have to say on my own account that to my immense surprise and delight uh, after losing my husband, quite unexpectedly, um, I met somebody else. You didn't go, okay, okay. No, I, I don't I'm know. I'm going to interrupt. I'm not going to tell the whole story, but you can't just say that and, and walk away from that no. or move on. No, you fun. actually met this wonderful man who saw you having a drink with a girlfriend. Was it Christmas Eve or something? And he told me after, and I have met him, he's a lovely guy. He said he saw you and he fell in love with you the moment he saw you. And how romantic is that? He didn't tell me that. He anyway. told me that. <laughs> Sorry, he told, no, no, he told me that. All right, keep going. Um, you also said, but uh, you know, there there are lots of reasons why why older people though may not want to, whether widows or widows, they may not want to actually remarry. Mm -hmm. Isn't that so? Mm -hmm. No, um, you know, they've had a long and happy marriage, and uh, there are also practical reasons, tax and financial downsides, you know, and there's, let's not forget, there's the reaction of the children 
and the inheritance side of things. Yeah, I mean, that that is certainly an issue. Um, uh, on tax and financial downsides, I mean, you know, it's not a big deal if you both have some money. I mean, if you both have, say, a full contributory state pension and personal pensions. But one thing that can be affected if you do take up living with somebody at whatever age, if, you, if you've been uh, receiving a social welfare benefit like a living alone allowance, is that they can be clawed back if you are found to be officially cohabiting. But I think there's also a bigger issue um, that, you know, you're, you have to keep in mind that you're now going to be renegotiating lifestyle costs. Who has more money? Who's going to pay for what? How much shared access are you going to have to each other's savings, your pensions? Um, and as you mentioned there, how are your adult children and your heirs going to react if the family home is sold, say, so that one parent can move in with a new partner that they're not married to? Or if the other person um, eventually became financially dependent on their parent, you know, these are this is bad enough. I think for some families with their own mother and father legally married, entering advanced old age, and children can be very concerned about what's going to happen to that that great asset they expect to inherit, which is the family home. Uh, I don't think it's any any of your children's business, but it can be a source of unhappiness if you get it wrong, and certainly if the children think of this other person as just mum's boyfriend or just dad's girlfriend, and you are making a really important financial connection with each other as well as a romantic one. Yes, but, um, we, you know, there are always going to be a few challenges along the road, but I think really this can be one of the best stages of life if you mm. rewire and... Uh, Life is complicated, but getting where you want to be um, is, it's very important to set goals worth saying this. And one of the things they found about goals, aside from making them realistic and realizable, it's a very good tip to actually write them down. Mm-hmm. It's 90% more successful in, uh, if you do this, apparently, according to one study. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know that's let's wish you a happiness on the road to rewirement. Um, one of, because one of the things that really happens and it's worth appreciating um, is that you know concentrating on the positive, overlooking the negative, and at this stage in life you become more accepting, less stressed than during the middle years with all the demands that are on you. And that your emotional stability increases with age, mm. thanks to life experience. In other words, age changes values. That's very true. You know, it's this has been a terrific four-part four um, experience for us, too, I think, in talking about this. And I've given it a little bit of thought in the last week or so, our other, our other podcast, and I can say, hand on heart, um, that watching you evolve over these 40 years of our long... Uh, friendship and how busy and happy and fulfilled you've been really is a living testament now to the success of rewirement. Um, I've also been giving some thought to some of the happiest retirees I know. And you know what? They fit into what you have suggested about the things that you should be concentrating on, and that's a fulfilling, productive activity. Uh, We have a lot of teachers and academics in our wider family, and nearly all of them, and these are the people who I think have had the most successful uh, retirements, nearly all of them continued to teach. 
Um, you know, they, they moved into different areas like literacy, language classes for, for newcomers, for, for refugees. And um, one, one family member who was a, a musician and an academic, uh, she, she actually did start teaching music lessons part-time to adults, not to children. You know, others, one other who was just an, an ordinary high school teacher, I think he always had greater, um, greater needs scholastically. And he started doing some very, very uh, obscure scholarly research and started writing about it without any intention of it getting published. But it just became such, uh, not an obsession, but just a great interest for him. And I thought that was great. So uh, that said, though, I mean, there's a nurse in the family, uh, one of my sisters-in-law, who, and this is such a lovely story, she decided, she had opportunities to keep nursing because nurses can leave at 60, 65, and she was quite a young woman, but she decided she'd had enough, and I can, after this two years of the pandemic, I think we can all appreciate that nurses, older nurses might want to retire, but what she did was she formed with some of her best nursing girlfriends who are also retiring a walking club and they have gone all over the place they're in Canada but they've gone all over Canada they've gone to Europe they were in the Far East um, on these wonderful wonderful walking holidays and they're all in really good shape as a result of it so I don't know how long she doesn't know how long that'll last but uh, and they get together a lot so isn't that a great thing to do in retirement too mm -hmm. and I think I really have to, uh, I have a few ideas now, so I'm, after all of this, I'm going to have to really work harder at my rewiring plan. Happy rewiring, Jira. Thank you, Marianne. <laughs> all right, the podcast has ended, but I'm wondering if we can just do a very quick postscript now, and we'll add that just as a postscript. Did you have a list of the different, uh, you were saying, the different places that maybe you can approach to see about doing, um, getting life coaches? No, no, there aren't any, but... I'm kind of wondering how we can say this. Um, I think you just say bear in mind that there are quite numerous different organisations for people who are, you know, in their third age, as it were. Okay, hang on. And Instead of, um, can we, why don't I just introduce this as a postscript? Yeah. And then he can actually add this um, right at the end. So I'm just going to say, all right, I'm going to, Connor, I'm just going to do a little postscript here. Hello again. We're back with a bit of a postscript here. As Marianne and I prepared this, these series of uh, episodes for this Rewiring Don't Retire podcast, we realized that there isn't a lot of options out there for people who are not part of a larger organization or the public service to go on retirement courses. Uh, these wonderful retirement courses for those people in, in large companies are mostly arranged by the Retirement Planning Council of Ireland, but there's not a lot for individuals or people like me, self-employed people, um, who might want to go off and do some sort of a course. No, Jill, it's not courses. They don't do courses. Age Action are the only people who do courses. No, I was talking about the Retirement Planning Council. So, oh. so that, well, in, okay. So, Connor, you've got that. Marianne is now going to say, but there aren't any courses for, from other agencies. The Retirement Planning Council is pretty much it. So do you want to say that then? Or um, No, I think we need to... We've, we've mentioned the, the Retirement Planning Council okay. and the fact that there aren't people out there okay. in the course of the... What, uh, okay, so people might like to know okay. about general organisations. Okay, why don't you say you know, that then? Okay, right. Okay, so. well, we're start, starting again. Um, 
you know, there are, uh, people might like to know, especially if they're starting off just now or on their own, that there are a lot of um, voluntary organizations out there which aimed at people in their third age. Um, and among the most active ones, you have Age Action, <laughs> appropriately, uh, Active Retirement Ireland, uh, there's Third Age Ireland, you have the U3A, which is all about learning, groups of people who get together to teach each other, Friends of the Elderly, Alone, for people who are, uh, as it rightly suggests, on, on their own. And, you know, you have uh, online things as well, uh, where course, free courses from Future Learn, which is from universities all over the world. And let's not forget men and women's sheds. Excellent idea. Wonderful place to get together and do things and pursue your hobbies. So there's a lot out there. But you might really have, you might struggle though to find, uh, if you're not, as I said, part of a, a big company, um, a really good rewirement, retirement course uh, that's suitable for individuals. Um, and I think maybe we should have more of them. So good luck anyway in, in pursuing that. Sponsored by Expressway. With My Expressway, free travel pass holders can reserve their seats online at expressway.ie or at our ticket machines in stations.